Father, how we do need to find our rest in you, and uh, thank you that we have such a friend in Jesus. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have now to open our Bibles and to study your word together. I pray that this would be a beneficial time. It's a holiday weekend. Our, our schedules have been in change-up mode, and our, our routines have been adjusted. But thank you for this routine of Sunday morning, gathering as your church to sing together and to hear your word together. And so encourage us through it, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, isn't it interesting that uh, we put an event like being thankful on the calendar? Now, I know that it is based on a historical event that is significant in the founding of our country, but... uh, the last two Sundays, last week and this Sunday, we are having a two-part series, sermon series on Thanksgiving and being thankful to recognize that God's people are to be people characterized by gratitude. We don't just put on a calendar a week that we're going to especially be thankful in this certain week. And really, I don't know how, how hard we work at being thankful during Thanksgiving week. What we really focus on is feasting. And eating, I ran into a little list about uh, signs that you ate too much for Thanksgiving. And uh, one of them was that your doctor tells you that your weight would be perfect for a man 17 foot tall. Um, Another is that you had to call the paramedics to bring in the jaws of life to get you out of your lazy boy chair. Um, uh, We'll just do one more. They're not that funny. But um, (laughs) you checked your cholesterol and with your finger prick and only gravy came out. Um, anyway, it's just really easy to eat too much, isn't it, on Thanksgiving week, and we are a blessed people, and we need to be characterized as thankful people. Last week, what we were talking about in trying to lay a, a foundation of thankful thinking was really a, a theology of thankfulness for God's people, thankful thinking. This week, I wanted to follow it up with a part two, some of the same texts that we looked at last week. And for us to recognize that we are to be thankful living. We are to be thankful in our living. We are to, in our lifestyle, demonstrate lives of gratitude and thankfulness. I thought it would be helpful to us, and please forgive me for my voice today. I I really probably would have given this pulpit away yesterday had Shupi responded about 10.30 when I texted him, whenever it was. I was really feeling rotten. I feel, actually feel pretty good. I won't be shaking hands today. So just forgive me for the obnoxious, at least it sounds obnoxious to me, but um, do the best you can to just um, pay attention to God's word here and let it speak to you. But I thought that in our goal of being a people who are thankful and characterized by gratitude, that it might be helpful for us in just a two-part series here, uh, two parts, two point sermon really in a two part series is our first point this morning is what thankful living is not. I thought that might be helpful for us to just clarify what we're not talking about. And then we'll just follow through with some reminders on what thankful living is as we profile the life of a person who's characterized by gratitude. Reminding ourselves that God's people are to be thankful people. We're to be living thankful. Now, once again this week, the other thing that we're not going to do is go all over our Bibles. We're going to focus on the teaching ministry of the Apostle Paul, uh, adding to it a little bit of a test this week. Did the Apostle Paul live out his own teaching? 
And so we're going to have some life examples from the Apostle Paul as he teaches on this characteristic of thankful living. But first, let's just look at three things that we're not talking about here. What thankful living is not. First of all, and I think this is the number one uh, problem that we have in our thinking, is that thankful living is not circumstantial. Thankful living is not circumstantial for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think many of us fall into the trap that if we could just alter the circumstances of our lives, then we could become thankful, grateful people. You know, if we could just arrange a little bit of a difference in the relationships in my life, in my job situation, in my home front situation and circumstances. If I could just change these things, then I finally could be a grateful or thankful person. I think that you'll find by experience as you live your life that circumstances really don't have that much to do with whether or not you're going to be a thankful Christian. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It's one of the most um, familiar, and we looked at this last week as well, and we will focus on these concentrated writings in the epistles of the Apostle Paul here. He gives us at the end of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, a little list of do's and don'ts. And they're short little pithy statements about how our Christian life is to be characterized. Okay? So, for example, let's pick it up at verse 15. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And then just a two-word verse. We're familiar with the shortest verse in the Bible. We often say in John chapter 11, there's a two-word verse there. Remember what it is? Jesus wept. It's like the shortest verse in the Bible. Here's another two-word verse with a little bit longer words in it. Rejoice always. So if you want to memorize a verse of scripture today, there you got it. Rejoice always. And, it, and by the way, that's not a bad verse to memorize today. Rejoice always. And he says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks. Look what he says here. Directly to our point. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. And we're going to pick up a little bit more on the last part of that verse, but let's read it right now. In a few minutes, we're going to pick up on the last part of that verse. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Then he adds a couple do nots. So he has some do's and don'ts here. His do not is do not quench the spirit. Do not despise, despise prophecies or the word of God and so forth. So he has some do's and don'ts for Christians as he ends the passage, the most familiar there to us is give thanks in all circumstances. Pray without ceasing. He has these qualifying terms. They look like they're blanket terms. But think about it for just a minute. I mean, you got to stop and sleep once in a while, don't you? So how am I supposed to rejoice always? How am I supposed to pray without ceasing? How am I supposed to give thanks in all circumstances? Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But the idea here is that we are to be characterized by this, and it is not circumstantial for the believer in Christ. Let's illustrate this with a life illustration from the Apostle Paul over in Acts chapter 27. This is one of my favorite stories at the end of the book of Acts about the Apostle Paul, and he is actually in, he's actually part of a prison ship. He is a prisoner himself. He has appealed to go to Rome to go to court there to get a fair trial. And he's put on a ship with a bunch of prisoners. There's textual criticism 
The, the textual criticism on this is a debate whether there were 276 people on the ship or if there were 76 people on the ship. But regardless, there was a bunch of prisoners on a ship. You got the skipper, you got the, the sailors, you got a centurion who's overseeing them. And uh, it's probably just as easy for me to read the story real quick as it is for me to tell it. And so uh, let's pick it up at chapter 27, verse 13. And here's what you have. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and they sailed along Crete close to the shore. That's an island. And they stayed close to the island shore. But soon, Paul says, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down on the land, from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. They tied ropes around it to hold it together. Then fearing that they would run aground on the site, Syrtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest, tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. I mean, this is just the worst of circumstances, get it? We read these stories and we think, ah, this is an absolutely terrifying situation. You're in this ship, there's no sun, there's no sun in the daytime, there's no stars at night, it's just cloudy, it's dark, it's stormy, and many days go by and they think they're going to die. Let's continue reading. Since they had been without food, verse 21, for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not set sail for Crete and incurred this injury and loss. (laughs) I always have to stop and kind of smile at that verse because it's like, Paul, that really did a lot of good right now. You're in the middle of the storm, and he stands up and he says, hey, guys, I told you, shouldn't have gone. That's what, that's what wives do to husbands right there. It's like, I told you you shouldn't have done this. Oh, that's very helpful right now, honey. I know you're right, but that's what Paul's, Paul I just always smile when I see that. Men, you should have listened to me. We wouldn't be in this mess. Well, he's the man of God. He's taking leadership, and look what it says. Verse 22, yet now I urge you to take heart. Here's the the spiritual leadership of the Apostle Paul in these terrible circumstances. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of of God to whom I belong, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. They're not gonna die. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that that it will be exactly as I've been told and we must run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come, two weeks they're in the middle of this mess. As we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and they found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and they found 15 fathoms. And fearing that, they, that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. They're terrified. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers 
Unless these men, the sailors, stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. And then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And then when he had said these things, he took bread, and here it is, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat, and they were encouraged. Don't you think that that prayer of thanksgiving in the middle of these difficult circumstances had a, was a profound testimony on these sailors? I mean, this, like I said, we read these stories and we think, wow, it's really crazy. This is just overwhelmingly difficult circumstances. And in the middle of it, the Apostle Paul models 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in all circumstances, give thanks. In the middle of a 14-day storm, when you think you're going to die. Now, he had the benefit of an angel of God appearing to him and assuring him that they were all going to live through it. Now, they had difficult days ahead. The ship hits the rocks, falls apart. They're in the sea and so forth. It's great stuff. But in the middle of those circumstances, the Apostle Paul passes the test, doesn't he? And he lives out his own teaching. He lives out his own instruction that thanksgiving for the believer in Christ is not circumstantial. So the life illustration, Paul in a storm, reminds us then further of the Apostle Paul's teaching where he reminds us that thankful living, not only is it not circumstantial, but thankful living is not material. It's not material, okay? So for the believer in the Lord Christ, we have to be careful of falling into a trap that is very familiar and common in our culture. In fact, a lot of marketing is focused on this angle that if you just have this, then you will be happy. Then you will be able to be thankful that you are you. If you're driving this car down this road, everybody on the sidewalk will look and say, I wish I were you. Actually, everybody on the sidewalk won't even know you're there, and they won't care, okay? The idea is that this material, it's material. If we just had this new deer rifle, if I just had this certain house, if I just had a jacuzzi, then I would be so happy, and I would be in my jacuzzi, and I would say, thank you, Lord, every night when I'm in my jacuzzi. No, you wouldn't. If you don't thank the Lord tonight on the couch without your jacuzzi, you won't thank the Lord in your jacuzzi. It's just the way it works. It's not material. There are not things. Now, things, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Things are not intrinsically wrong or innately evil. God gives us things to enjoy. But if you're looking for things to become a thankful person, this is a good warning for us with buying gifts for our children. This is a real warning for us. At Christmas time here, as we do our Christmas shopping, we want to we want to give share gifts in the spirit of Christmas. It's a it's a great tradition. We enjoy it. Then we wonder, thirty minutes after we've opened the gifts, why our children aren't more thankful for all these nice things we just bought them? Because thankfulness does not spring from material things. This is a little bit of a warning. In Philippians chapter four, I want you to see where the apostle Paul finds himself. He's not on a ship this time, and our life illustration is that Paul is held in prison. And it's Philippians chapter 4, and uh, we'll be focusing now on this 
region of our Bible, so you won't have to turn very far as we continue our study. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, notice that the Apostle Paul, who is in prison, he begins this letter to the Philippian believers, uncertain as to whether or not he's going to live through this. He might get his head cut off. He's in prison, waiting judgment. He does get out this time. It's later that he ends up um, in 2 Timothy. He's also in prison when he writes 2 Timothy. And that time, he doesn't get out with his life. They do take his life. But Paul has been repeatedly arrested for preaching the gospel. And when he writes the letter to his beloved Philippian church, he's in prison. Stop and think about that. Now, I'm the pastor here, and so I know a lot about many people. I don't often think about it all, but I'm thinking to myself right now, we have people in our church who have been in prison, okay? We have multiple people in our church who've been in prison. I've visited them in prison. Talked to them through the glass. Talked to them in lounges and waiting rooms, okay? But most of us have not been in prison. Most of us don't know what it is. Furthermore, no one in our church that I know of, has been put in prison for preaching Christ. So stop and think about that for a minute, all right? Just like stop and think about a ship that's on tempestuous seas for 14 days. It's incredible. He says, thank you, Lord, for my food today. I want to have a spirit of gratitude in the middle of circumstances. This, this idea here that Paul now is in prison, think about what you take with you in prison. You'll take anything. Now, in these days, you probably didn't have to wear a jumpsuit, but Paul was often locked in chains, locked in stocks. We know um, in the Philippian jail and from in, in Acts that he was locked in stocks down in the middle of the prison. All right? In 2 Timothy, he didn't have anything, and he writes Timothy and he says, Bring the books, the scrolls, and my winter coat. You didn't have anything. You bring me this stuff. I need my books. I, I need to keep reading and studying. And bring my coat. I'm cold. She doesn't have anything. All right? But look what he says. He says in Philippians 4, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now at length. For you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me. But you had no opportunity. You didn't have opportunity to meet my concern or to to respond to that concern. But he's finding out that they were concerned and he's appreciative. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need. Okay, so he kind of almost like, "But, but I'm not saying I'm in need. He's in jail with nothing. He's in jail with nothing. But I'm not in need. Because I have learned that in whatever situation I am in, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, to be abased, your Bible might say, to have nothing. And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. It is that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But I want you to realize that as he starts, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly for you. He's Listen, rejoicing and gratitude, rejoicing and thanksgiving, are kissing cousins, aren't they? They're hand in hand. They're very similar. And so we see in Paul's life illustration that though he's held in prison and has nothing, he still is characterized by a spirit of rejoicing and gratitude for what God is doing. Thanksgiving is not circumstantial. Thanksgiving is not 
material. It is also, I think we need to remind ourselves, not emotional. And turn now to the parallel verse from 1 Thessalonians 5.18 to Ephesians 5.20. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 and Ephesians 5.20 are very, very similar. There's a little bit of a difference in them. And these verses cause us to question what in the world is the Apostle Paul teaching? I want you to recognize when we're talking about God's people are to be grateful people, we're not really talking about an emotion. We're not talking about circumstances. We're not talking about materialism. We're not talking about emotion. We're talking about something that is more meaningful and deeper even than that. Notice what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5.20. He says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes when people look at 1 Thessalonians 5.18, there it says, in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. So you say, well, I don't have to be thankful for it, but in, in it I'm thankful. And you kind of, but, but in Ephesians 5, he says, giving thanks always and for everything. So you say, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. I am supposed to be thankful that, you know, I mean, we long for children and then at six months we miscarry this baby and we don't have a child. And I'm supposed to say, thank you, Lord, for this. You have a little child who ends up pulling a boiling pot of spaghetti sauce off the stove all down his front and has third degree burns. And on the way to the hospital, you're reminding each other, hey, for everything, give thanks. It's all good. So what do you do with this? How does this work? All right. The life illustration for Paul here is that he's under attack. Let's not take the time to move back to Philippians 1. But it's in Philippians 1 where he, he's talking about he's in prison. And while he's in prison, some people are using his name to minister to their own advantage, all right? It's very upsetting. It's kind of defrauding to the Apostle Paul. And so the idea is, is his name is being slandered and put down, and you know what his, re- his response is? But they're preaching Christ. They're still using my message, which is a Christ-based message, and so therefore I rejoice. I'm I'm thankful. So do you know what it is for somebody to take your name and drag it through the mud? That's enraging. Do you know what it is for somebody to take your name and and misrepresent that? That makes you very angry, very upset. Okay? And so my point is, in Philippians 1, the life illustration, the Apostle Paul was set up for emotion of anger, and yet he shows that his rejoicing and his gratitude is not based upon Emotion, it's based upon the fact that the gospel's going forward and he's going to leave the circumstances to Christ. Just forget it. It doesn't really matter. If the worst thing that happens is my name gets defrauded, my name gets abused, so be it. He was only concerned about the name of Christ. But what about this whole thing of that's Paul under attack? Let her see life illustration Paul under attack. So our three life illustrations were Paul in a storm, Paul held in prison, and Paul under attack. And in all those situations, he either demonstrated a a note of thanksgiving 
or rejoicing or contentment, all of which I'm saying for the sake of this message, are related. The idea of a thankful spirit has a lot to do with contentment, has a lot to do with rejoicing. They all fit together. But I want to take just a minute before we move on to the second part of our sermon as we conclude our thinking about what thankful living is not. And I want us to deal with this idea of Ephesians 5.20, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for everything give thanks. I mean, I know that we can go through the auditorium today and there are just very difficult circumstances. I mean, just, I, I don't even have to give illustrations. You can think of them in your life. Why would I be thankful for that? Even then, to the simple things of twisting your ankle or getting sick when you got to preach three times, stuff like that. Why, why, am I supposed to be thankful for that? So notice what he says here. Thankful for all things. I, I have four statements that I wanted to make that I think will be helpful. First of all, I think that this idea of being thankful for everything is that thankful living is to be a characterization of a believer's life. It's to be a characterization of a believer's life. Now, I base that on the First Thessalonians 5 grocery list of the do's and don'ts, where he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Okay, so is it possible really to rejoice always? You have to go to sleep, pray without ceasing. You've got to go to work and you've got to stop praying. So you, can't, you cannot pray without ceasing. That has to do with a hard attitude, doesn't it? It has to do with a mindset. Because there's times when your boss is talking to you, you better stop praying and you better just listen to your boss. All right? So what are you going to do here? So the idea is that Paul, I think, is teaching not that every second and I, I stop being thankful, I sinned. I just sinned because I'm, I'm not thankful. I'm not thankful that I was sitting at a red light and I'm 43 years old and a guy plows me in my bumper and now I have a broken bone in my neck and I can't work the rest of my life. You can be thankful for that? Of course not. But in the middle of that, what? My life is characterized as a believer that in all things I am thankful. It's an idea of characterizing the believer's life that we are a thankful people. Secondly, I think that it is true that we are to maintain a high view of the sovereign administration of God's plan for our lives. How is it that I can be thankful in all things? How is it that I can be thankful for all things? It is because I know that my heavenly father is overseeing my life and he is sovereign. Nothing catches him by surprise. He doesn't make mistakes. And he has the sovereign watch over me. Now, parentheses, I'm not talking about your sinful, stupid decisions. When you make choices that are outside the will of God, and when you make sinful, uh, you make sinful decisions that mess up your life, you will naturally have to face consequences. Now, God can sometimes work in the middle of that. When you, when you move back to him. But my idea is, I'm talking about, you're just living your life here. You're trying to be the Christian that God wants you to be. And then difficult things happen. How do you process that? How are you to be thankful? Well, I'm going to be thankful 
that I have a sovereign heavenly father who is administrating my life. And so when that guy hit my bumper and broke that bone in my neck, when I'm 43 years old and I'm making this up, it's not true of me, and I can't work the rest of my life, what is that? Somehow God in his sovereign oversight has allowed that in our world where difficult things happen to all people because of a sin-cursed world. But God was not caught by surprise. And so in that, somehow I am thankful for the administration of his life. And I'm going to look now to see how is he going to use me for his glory in my brokenness. Easy to say, hard to do. One of the little verse I popped on there was Luke 12, verse 7. Luke 12, 7 is where Jesus is teaching and, and he says that God knows the number of hairs on my head. Now, for some of us, every day that changes, right? For all people, I understand, right? He's like, God, so what is that? God knows the number of hairs on my head right now? Of course he does. So what's significant about that? What's significant about that is that it's a lesser to greater argument. Jesus often used the lesser to greater argument in his teaching. We saw that in our Matthew series. If God knows today how many hairs I left in my hairbrush and how many are on my head, then how much more does he know of the, intrinsic, the in, intricate details of my life? And that gives me peace and calm and a spirit of gratitude. And so the idea here is that we are to maintain a high view of the sovereignty of God. When we say, I can be thankful in all things or I can be thankful for all things, I am saying that thankfulness is a characterization of my life overall. Secondly, I'm saying that I, am, I understand that, that I have a sovereign heavenly father who is administrating my life. Thirdly, we can say that we are living in anticipation of how God is going to work all things together for our good. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. I mean, that verse, when you're in the middle of trauma and difficulty, is about as helpful as the Apostle Paul in the middle of that storm standing up and saying, guys, I have an announcement to make. Guys, you should have done what I said. We shouldn't have left port. That's very, very helpful. Isn't it? That's like, you're in the middle of the car wreck and you're in the ambulance and uh, your pastor pops in the back of the ambulance and you have a broken neck because the guy rear-ended you on the bumper and he says, hey, pal, all things will work together for good. Well, that's not very helpful at, at a certain moment. But do you really believe that God in his oversight of my life will weave the tapestry of my life in such a way that all things are working together for good? Is that not the best news that you could ever have? That God is taking my life and he's allowing the circumstances of my life to come together in the outworking of them in my life that all things are working together for good, both for his glory and for my good. I find that very much worth rejoicing over. That there is a purpose in all of these things we don't always understand, but I can have a spirit of gratitude in and for these things because God is taking them and working them together for my good. Wow. Fourthly, I think that what this means in being thankful for everything is that we are to be a visualization to a watching world 
who are outside of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul wrote this. Philippians 2 verse 14, he said, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We are to be living in contrast to the rest of the world, aren't we? And so a person who is thankful is not a grumbling person. A person who does things with disputing is not a thankful person. A thankful person does not grumble. He does not dispute. And we are blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse, twisted generation among whom you shine as lights. Don't you think that if you're living out Christ and you are characterized by gratitude and you have people who are your neighbors for 17 years, that they would eventually go, something different about those people. Don't you think? I mean, you shine as lights. I I don't know if I talked about my dog killer sign here lately. Um, I've used that as an illustration before. I just saw it the other week when I went to Charlottesville to the hospital. The guy fixed up a sign. So a couple of years ago, I used it as an illustration. Driving down, I forget, uh, 540 or something, taking just staying off of 95. And back there on a two-lane country road that's fairly straight where I can keep going pretty fast and not be in traffic on 95. They're in the rural area. There's a big plywood sign, and a guy took paint, and he painted on it, dog killer lives next door. And so I went by another year, and it was still there. This year, he fixed it up, and he has a professional sign. He doesn't have the plywood sign with the paint. He's got it all plastic lettering. Dog killer lives here. And the arrow points at his neighbor's house. So I I don't know. I I think that's two neighbors that don't get along very well. I don't know if the guy was out bow hunting and his neighbor's dog came through and he shot it when he was deer hunting or if he backed over it with his tractor. I don't know what happened. But if your neighbor was going to put a sign up after living next to you for years... Some of you have lived next to your neighbors for years. You're going to put a sign up with an arrow pointing at your house. Who lives there? You think if a thankful person lives there, they ought to know it. And we demonstrate the love of Christ through the gratitude with which we live life. Well, I hope that helps a little bit on those verses that they have that element to them. What does it mean to be thankful for everything The idea is that it's to be the characterization of the Christian's life. It's to be uh, bring a joy to us to know that we have a sovereign heavenly father involved in the administration of our lives. It is the idea of an anticipation as God works all things together for our good. And then we are to be a visualization in contrast to a watching world with a spirit of gratitude. So what thankful living is, this is not rocket science. It'll only take us a minute. We're in Colossians chapter three. But what we wanna do here is we wanna profile a life of thankfulness. We wanna profile a life of thankfulness. If somebody were to analyze what does this thankful life look like, here's at least four things that you're gonna see in this profile, okay? Colossians three, these are verses that we had last week. And this is a great chapter. I don't know if you took time to read it again. It's the put on, put off, put off, put on. It's the contrast of the Christian life, the new life in Christ versus the old life outside of Christ. 
Verse 12, chapter 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Look at that. And I think what you have here is I look at what you have here. This is a compassionate, kind person who is humble. They are meek. They are patient. And they handle complaints against one another carefully. They forgive one another. Above all, they have put on love and it binds everyone in perfect harmony. And they have the peace of Christ in their hearts. And they are thankful I think that the idea here is that they are rarely complaining. This is not a complaining person. So if you're going to profile a thankful person, they don't complain. They are rarely complaining. Notice verse 15. They are also characterized by peaceful living. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. They rarely are complaining. They are peaceful in their living And then look at verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. These are verses we looked at last week, but they are often rejoicing, aren't they? Look what it says. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness into their, with, in their hearts to God. They are people who sing. They are rejoicing people. So the profile of a person who is thankful is they are rarely complaining. They are characterized by peaceful living. You see, you can't be grouchy and be thankful. You can't be angry and be thankful. Peaceful living often rejoicing, and then 2 Corinthians 9, and we won't camp on this, but just to bump into it, to finish our profile in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Notice in verses 6 through 12, they are generous in giving. They are generous in giving. Paul says, the point is this, verse 6 of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And he's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He's our model as a giver. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, you got a seed bag of good works, seed bag of giving, and the more you give, the more God puts in your seed bag for you. You can't outgive God. You will be enriched in every way. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Of course, as they gave and the apostles distributed, then people rejoiced and were thankful For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. 
by generous giving, there is just a lot of thanksgiving that ends up going on, and not the least of which he doesn't really reference in the passage is, have you ever experienced giving generously, maybe even giving something that was very meaningful to you, and you walked away with the greatest joy in your heart? You just had great joy in your giving. That's how it works. So when you profile a thankful Christian who's living out a thankful life, they are rarely complaining, they are characterized by peaceful living, they are often rejoicing, and they are generous in giving. We need to understand, though, in conclusion, don't we, that this week's message kind of fits with last week's message, and they're very similar. But thankful living is the spillover of thankful thinking, isn't it? It's what's in the heart and what's in your thought life that's going to spill over in your living. It begins with this foundational theology of thankfulness. And we are thankful thinkers, so therefore we are thankful livers. Didn't sound quite right, but we'll just let it go. Secondly, thankful living cannot be artificially induced. Thankful living cannot be artificially induced. So you don't just like make up your mind, I'm going to pump, I'm going to be thankful this morning. I'm going to be thankful. Now, it is okay to be volitional in our obedience, right? It's not wrong to obey whether you feel like it or not. But you can't just suck up the muster to decide to be thankful because the real you will eventually come through. That's an artificial, superficial kind of thing. And so what has to be going on is there has to be a work of grace that's going on in your life and your salvation is at work molding you and shaping you so that in all circumstances and for all circumstances, as God works together for good in my life, that I just have an attitude of gratitude that is characteristic of what all believers in Christ are to have. And the foundation of this thankful living is our great salvation in Christ, isn't it? Christ has transformed me into somebody I didn't used to be. And now I am a thankful person. One of the joys of being a pastor of a church for a long time is to get to watch God's grace and gospel and sanctifying power at work in men for years. So I can think of some men that for 23 years I have known and I have been watching them or 17 years or 11 years. And I have seen some men here at Fellowship Bible Church turn, turn from being angry, short-tempered, grouchy men who their children were a little bit afraid of to being the most gracious, thankful, kind, gentle men as Christ has been at work in them. Where did that come from? That came from the work of Christ through our salvation and our sanctification. That's where it spawns. That's where it comes from. Do you know Christ is your Savior today? Is your sin forgiven? Your sin cleansed by the blood of Christ? Enter into that salvation. Let God begin to do a new work in you and make you a new creation. Dads, let's not be characterized by grouchiness. Let's be thankful. Let's set the tone in our homes by being men who are rarely complaining, peaceful in our living, often rejoicing and generous in our giving. And 
Let's wait and see at the end. Somebody might put a sign up and say, thankful liver right there. Thankful liver is what I keep thinking about. That's what that seems like to me. Let's stand and close in prayer. So, Father, we um, are grateful for the Apostle Paul's instruction. What an incredible man he was. And we've tested him just a little bit today, and we see that he lived out what he taught. Would you help us to live out what we believe? Would you help us to be characterized by thankful living, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go. Have a great week. See you back Wednesday night, Lord willing.